Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Meets a new friend, verse 1. Certain Adelamite, his name was Hiram. Judah feels so exhilarated. He's free, free from his home. And he goes out saying to himself, you know, I'm free, I'm free at last, I'm free, I'm free from my house and my brother's and he's got this exhilarated feeling, and he meets this new friend named Hira. And you know what's interesting about Hira? You know what Hira's name means? Free. That's what it means. Like that perfect, you know, what a friend. It expresses how I'm feeling. So he thinks, my new friend, Hira, with a name like Free, he's perfect for me. No more restraints like I had at home. And so we read in verse 1 that Judah turned to a certain Adalamite whose name was Hira. Now, the Hebrew word for turned, turned in, means he pitched. It's used for setting up a tent. This means that Judah, what he did is he pitched his tent or he set up his tent as close as he could to his new friend, Hira, the Adullamite. Now, when it says that Hira was an Adullamite, that means Hira, Hira obviously was a Canaanite. He was a Canaanite. And we know about Canaanites. I mean, we've seen this about Canaanites. I mean, you know, they were, the Canaanites are, clearly are a people were a people, the Canaanites, you characterize the Canaanites, no sexual restraints with the Canaanites. You know, as one of the kings of Canaan put it, as we saw earlier in Genesis 26.10, Abimelech said, what is this thou hast done? One of the people might lightly have line, line laid down with thy wife. And so the Canaanites had this ongoing sexual revolution. They were the people of free love. You know, they're described as lightly lying with this person, that person. Sodom and Gomorrah, part of Canaan. And they had taken on their sexual revolution to a new level that eventuated in God intervening with the judgment of fire and brimstone. Well, Hira is part of this culture. He's part of this culture of this sexual permissiveness. And that meant that Judah's new friend was not a good influence on Judah. You know, like it says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, 1 Corinthians 15.33, be not deceived, Evil communications corrupt good manners. Uh, I'm not quite sure who's corrupting who here, but Judah is not in good company to help him with his problem of unbridled sexual lust. You know, I mean, I saw this both at Miami University in Ohio and UCSD when I was a student there. And, you know, I saw kids who were raised in good homes with good moral upbringing, just like Judah, they went off from home, they went off from family, they went off from church, and they found this new freedom on the university campus. And and if they didn't become immediately active in Miami University had a very active InterVarsity Christian Fellowship group or Campus Crusade for Christ 
or navigators, which were strong at, uni- at Miami University, but at, at UCSD, we were a little too small for that, so we had them all together called Trident Christian Fellowship at UCSD. If they didn't get involved immediately in that, then those kids like Judah, they met their hires. They met their hires on campus, and it was, wasn't long before their new friends helped them into new sexual unions like Judah found. And it was amazing to me how open these kids were to making these new friends, sometimes in fraternities, sometimes in sororities. I remember, I remember my first week in, in the men's dormitory at Miami University seeing guys that run out the dorm shouting like wild animals with the dorm pillows in their hand on the way down some dark paths of sin. I mean, I was shocked at the time, and I was thinking to myself, hey, wait a minute, I come from Los Angeles. I looked for a peaceful place, which I thought I found here. I thought I found the quiet cornfields of Ohio in the middle of the Midwest, you know? I, I never saw this kind of behavior in, uh, this, in the wild jungles of Los Angeles, Well, Judah has made a new friend. And the best thing that a child can do in life is to make their parents their best friends. That's the best thing to do. Well, this new connection that Judah has made with Hira was against the will of God. Now, after Judah has got his dormitory tent set up close to Hira, Judah goes out with his pillow in his hand and we read in verse 2, Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name, Canaanite, whose name was Shua, and he took her and went in unto her. Now, now Judah was looking, what he was looking for is very clear. You know, Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite. When it says Judah saw, it shows that Judah was looking for, and his criteria, what he was looking for was, how does she look? Or, or is she good looking? You know, Judah is only concerned about how she looks. He's only concerned about her body. I mean, he doesn't see her as an individual person. He doesn't see her with an individual name. And to emphasize this, that Judah doesn't see her as an individual person, the Bible does something here that, to my knowledge, I've never seen the Bible do before. And throughout the whole Bible, I've never seen this done before, where the Bible does not tell us what her real name is. We don't know her name. The Bible talks a lot about this person, you know, Judah's wife here, but he never really reveals to us what her name is, what her actual name is. It's so strange only to refer to this woman as the daughter of Shua, and we're never given her name. She's only known as the daughter of Shua. I mean, it's purposeful, you know. I mean, the Jews, the rabbis, I should say, the rabbis, they call her Bat Shua, you know, daughter of Shua. That's what they call her. Well, so we'll call her daughter of Shua. We're not going to say bat Shua, but we'll call her daughter of Shua. But it's purposeful because it's emphasizing for Judah, it doesn't matter what her name is. You know, she's just a sexual object without a name. For Judah, it's not who is she. It's not what is her name. It's not what is she like as a person. It's not what is she like, what does she dislike. Is she clever? Is she smart? Is she godly? No, I don't think he would ask that. <laughs> for Judah, it's is she hot? You know, does she have a spark? Does she light my fire? You know, Judah looks at her and says, come on, baby, light my fire. That's what he's after. And it's just like Judah, he's built a little fireplace in his heart. He's got a pile of dry tinder, and he's looking for that woman that's going to come and spark and light that fire, that's going to ignite that tinder into a raging fire of uncontrolled sexual passions. And that's what's going on here. So, And Judah found the little spark. 
and, 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 and she set his tender, uh, t- tender pile there ablaze. And, 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 and she was, who is she? Well, she's the daughter of a certain Shunammite, and the man's name is Shua. Okay. It's interesting that the name Shua means cry for help. That's what the name Shua means. So for Judah, he marries this daughter of Shua, who is referred to, as I said, daughter of Shua. So there's this daughter of Shua, who herself is a very needy person, whose father, the meaning means cry for help. And so we can imagine she's crying for help. And instead of helping her by keeping her pure and giving her some esteem, he takes her, defiles her, and makes the daughter of Shua, the daughter of cry for help, more of a cry for help. And so in verse 2, he sees her, and he's quick. He's quick in verse 2. He took her. He went in unto her. I mean, the sequence is rapid. He saw her. He took her. He went in unto her. One, two, three. Not much time there to get to know her. Not much time to talk with her. Not much time to get to know her family. Just the, he saw her. He took her. He went in unto her. It's significant that the Bible calls her the daughter of Shua. She's described as the daughter of a certain Canaanite named Shua. I mean, that's written there for for very great significance. First of all, the daughter of Shua is identified as a Canaanite. She's a Canaanite. Judah knew, he knew that his great-grandfather Abraham just about died, uh, making sure that his grandfather Isaac didn't marry a Canaanite. I mean, Judah, Judah knew, he knew that the reason why his mother was a Syrian was because his grandfather sent his father, Jacob, to Syria so he wouldn't marry a Canaanite. He knew all this. He knew the Canaanites were off limits for unions like this. Because, why? Because of all the idolatry and all the sexual perversion among the Canaanites. But that didn't stop Judah. He saw her, he took her, he went into her. And then it says, second, that the daughter of Shua was the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. Now that statement the daughter of a certain Canaanite named Shua, it brings, her, it brings her father into the picture. You know, when you say that, the daughter of Shua, it's saying, look, she's not just a wild berry on the ground, you know, for Judah to pick up and eat. I mean, the daughter of Shua is attached to a vine of a particular family. And the daughter of Shua is described as the daughter of a certain Canaanite a particular Canaanite, a real person, a real individual. I mean, everything would have been so much different for Judah if the sequence went like this. He saw her. He met her family. He and her father got to know each other. Now, if that had been the sequence, then Judah would have understood the significance of what is written about the daughter of Shua, that she is the daughter of a certain Canaanite named Shua. He would have looked into the eyes of her father and seen in those eyes that her father would have communicated with his eyes, I have protected this girl through her life. I have cared for her through her life. I have cherished her as a treasure as she grew up. And I want to now hand her off to a person who's going to continue to protect her, continue to care for her, continue to cherish her as a treasure like I did. And if Judah had seen the daughter of Shua as a a daughter of a certain Canaanite named Shua and had met that man named Shua, then he would have understood how her father did not raise her to be thrown into a lion's den, you know, and that the history of his daughter should be that some lion like Judah 
came in, no pun intended. Some lion like Judah saw her, took her, went in unto her. But Judah didn't care, you know, that the daughter of Shua was the daughter of some Canaanite. Judah saw her, took her, went in unto her. So Judah had, has digressed in this history from a wrong relationship with Ahira to a wrong sexual union with the daughter of Shua that results in a wrong marriage. And it all starts, how does it all start in verse 2? Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite. His name was Shua. Those are very, very important words, very important three words there. Judah and Judah saw. Those are the words that start many tragedies, many tragedies, like the tragedy of Samson. Tragedy of Samson. Samson's life is a tragedy. It's very tragic. But in Judges 14.1, Judges 14.1, it describes Samson first time. What happened? Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath, the daughters of the Philistines, and came up and told his father and mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath, the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. His father's mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy people or among all thy people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. See, Genesis 38.1, Judah went down. Judges 14.1, Samson went down. Genesis 38.2, Judah saw a daughter of the Canaanites. Judges 14.1, Samson saw a woman of the daughters of the Philistines. And then it all went downhill from there for Samson and Judah with these uncontrolled gazes of lust. And again, this woman is described from Samson's case as a daughter of the Philistines. Again, the fact that, you know, she had a father, she was a daughter of a father, didn't matter for Samson. The fact that, the fact that she was a Philistine didn't matter. People forbidden to marry didn't matter. For, all that mattered to him was how he ended up in Judges 14.3, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Very selfish. The lion has seen his prey. The lion wants her. And all those are the same words that describe this greatest tragedy in David's life. In 2 Samuel 11, 2, 2 Samuel 11, 2, came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. He saw a woman washing herself. The woman was very beautiful to look upon. David sent to inquire after the woman. One said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Now, notice here the similarity with Samson and Judah here and with David. Again, Bathsheba is described as the daughter of Eliam, which brings her father into the picture, but that didn't matter for David. The lion has seen his prey. The lion wants her. And furthermore, Bathsheba is described as the wife of Uriah, which brings her husband into view, but that didn't matter for David. The lion has seen his prey, the lion wants her. And furthermore, Bathsheba is described as a Hittite, again, a people that David should not marry, but that didn't matter for David. The lion has seen his prey, the lion wants her. So all of this starts out, you know, Judah, Samson, and David, it all starts out with he saw. He saw a woman here. Samson saw a woman in Timnath, and David saw a woman washing herself. And so it all went downhill from there with the uncontrolled gaze of lust. And so what's the solution to a problem like this? What's the solution? The solution is understanding that, as the Bible says, that our eyes affect our heart. 
Our eyes affect our heart. The solution is a strong determination to not engage in the uncontrolled gaze of lust, and that's based on a personal determination and prayer to God for help. The personal determination is described by Job in Job 31.1. Job 31.1. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? The prayer to God for help is given to us by David in Psalm 119.37. Psalm 119.37. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Quicken thou me in thy way. So for Judah, this new sexual connection with this Canaanite woman was against the will of God. But in marrying the Canaanite wife, even though he did that, and it was blessed by God. That's all you can say. God made it fruitful, but that does not follow that it was approved by God. But, you know, we're going to see there that this has resulted in in the lineage of the Lord. Okay, now when we read in verse 2, he took her, he saw her, he took her, he went in unto her. The way that's written, it shows for us that it was, there was a sudden, was a suddenness in his uncontrolled sexual passion. He saw her, he moved quickly with one goal in view. That's the nature of sexual sins. Next, it was open in an uncontrolled sexual sin. Again, it shows he has no shame. You know, 1 Timothy 4.2, 1 Timothy 4.2. How come he has no shame? 1 Timothy 4.2, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Judah was not ashamed, and it was because his conscience was seared that he feels no shame. Third, it's willful. It's very willful. You know, we saw that in Samson's case also, get her for me. This, the uncontrolled sexual sin is willful. He's not coerced into this. He's not lured into doing this. He's as a deliberate of getting what he wants because he wants it. That's willfulness. And at this point, at least, he's not repentful. He doesn't have repentance. The awful aspect of these sexual sins is that they're never just one-time sins. Sexual sins are a quicksand that draw the soul deeper and deeper. And what we can see, we'll see this later in the chapter when the daughter of Shua dies, that instead of getting a second wife, he goes for a prostitute. So this shows that Judah, at the point he went to a prostitute later on, he's not, he hasn't repented of these sexual sins. But, you know, that's not the end of the story, fortunately. So the end of verse 2, it looks as though Judah has gotten his prey and he's maintained his freedom to roam the killing fields for more prey, only verse 3, there's a problem. Verse 3, she conceives. She conceived and bare a son, and he called his name her. Now, daughter of Shua conceives. Okay, so he wasn't planning on that. That's okay. Well, that kind of curbs the lion's roam a little bit, but okay, so now he'll have sons. So Judah thought that, look, I was just satisfying my sexual appetite. I wasn't planning on baby boy coming, you know. But, I mean, he thought it was just playing with sparks. He didn't realize that's how babies come. So now, all of a sudden, the lion now has begun to build his pride, okay, with the birth of Judah's firstborn son. And this is the start of Judah's pride, and he's proud of his son. And we read that he names his son. Now, Judah names his son in the English heir, and, and of course, you know, he'd say, that's a great name, perfect name. It's, it's error. You made an error. That's a good name for him, you know. But that's not the name. All right. So in the Hebrew, it means watcher or someone who's like on their guard, someone who's watching. Now, we don't know why Judah named his son someone who watches, but we can imagine, you know, because people name their sons or their children because of aspirations they had. We can imagine how he had in mind this concept of watch out. You know, he names him Er. Watch out for those uncontrolled sexual lusts. 
You know, they can get you in a world of trouble. Take it from dad, you know. Air, watch out for those seductive Canaanite women out there. They can get you in a world of trouble. Take it from dad. Or, or maybe when he named Amir, he had in mind that, that, you know, if he didn't watch out, that he'd end up in the ER. Okay, that's a bad joke. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> anyway, now we read next in verse 4 that the daughter of Shua, she conceives again and she bears a son. Only this time it says, and she called his name Onan. So Judah now has a second son, but this time Judah doesn't name a second son because the daughter of Shua names him. Okay, that's great. So now we get to know a little bit about her, you know, because from the names that they give, it shows you the aspirations they had. And so she names him Onan, which means strength or strong one. Again, we don't know what she had in mind when she named her second son Onan, but she may have had in mind that, you know, you should be strong. You should be stronger than your dad. You know, your dad couldn't control his sexual passions. You know, you should be strong and control them, you know. She may have desired for Onan to be strong. And don't look at every woman like you're a lion and, and it's the prey. Or maybe she wanted the son to get that name to strength so that he could be just strong. We don't really know. But we see that, that now Judah has another son in verse 5. And she yet conceived, she yet again conceived and bare a son and called his name Shelah. Now he is at Hesed when she bare him. So Judah now, he's building quite a family. You know, he's got the birth of his, his third son. And again, we see that the daughter of Shua, she comes in and she names the son. So, you know, again, we're kind of looking at the names, thinking, well, what's going on inside of her? And we see that she named Shelah. Now, this word means uh, like quietness, like peacefulness, like tranquility, you know? So again, we don't know exactly why she named her son these words, these names, but we can imagine you know, that she's kind of yearning for, oh, I wish there was peace. I wish there was some tranquility for a change, you know, some quietness here. You know, because, um, you know, my husband, he's really strong-willed. He's impulsive, you know, and so it'd be nice to have a little tranquility for a change. Now, we see something very unusual now in verse 6, uh, very unusual that it says, And Judah took a wife for heir, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. It appears that Judah's firstborn heir was very young. We don't know, but it appears he's very, very young. He might have been 14 years old at this point. And it's just strange for us to see Judah just step in and with this overture and take a wife for his young son. Now, we don't know why Judah would do this. I mean, it seems to be like a turmoil in Judah that he seems to take wives for his children, which he does when they're young and take control over their life, this uh, area of their lives. Maybe, maybe Judah recognized that, look, you know, I have a problem with the lack of sexual control. It's a problem for me. I don't want it to be a problem for him. I don't want him to fall prey on the same sexual sins. And so I'm going to take wives for them early in life. I'm going to, I don't know. I don't know, you know. All right. Well, this is a pretty rocky start you know, to the history of Judah. You know, when he leaves home, he gets entangled with all these Canaanites. But fortunately, this is not the end of the history for Judah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you have written for us, Lord, here, that you have put all this for us to carefully consider, Lord. To, and uh, we, we thank you that this is not the end of the story for Judah. It's not the end of our story as well, Lord, but that you have, you have a way with your great goodness to bring to repentance and to make us pleasing. Thank you that you're going to do this with Judah also in Jesus' name. Amen.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.